Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurt. Today is Monday, January 6th, 2020. First episode of 2020, Tim. I'm pretty excited about that. Happy New Year to everybody. We're discussing, uh, unfortunately, the Belk Bowl, uh, college football officiating, ACC Bowl updates, and stuff like that. But before we uh, jump into uh, into that discussion, Tim, what's what's going on with you? I am uh, sitting here after you know a fun, I guess, a fun New Year's, relaxing New Year's. Um, you know, the little one had her birthday and you know celebrated the New Year, which is great. Although I wasn't actually up to see the New Year. Uh, parenting is hard, and I was in bed by 10 p.m. Um, and it felt great, so I have no regrets. And as of right now, I'm watching uh, Red Bull cliff diving on the TV, which is actually quite interesting. They are uh, jumping from a large platform into a river in what appears to be a northern European or a central European country. So interesting, Red Bull always doing crazy, wacky stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, things I would never dare to even dream of doing. Uh, yeah, we uh, we did stay up for the New Year, New Year's Eve bash or whatever. So, you know, we're here in the central time zone. So you see the New York thing. It's like 11 o'clock, though, your time. And then we're sitting there watching TV, and I look up, and it's 12.15, and I was like, oh, uh, it's it's 2020 now. So well, it was really exciting as, uh, as we uh, entered the new year. But, you know, is what it is. We didn't watch any uh, pierogies dropping this year like we did last year. Um, <laughs> Right. You know, in West Indiana, they're up in um, up in the uh, Chicago kind of Indiana border. Um, but you know, it was pretty pretty low key for us, which is uh, how we like it, how we like to keep things. But um, Tim, I gotta tell you, I have recently tried the white chocolate Reese's. Oh yeah, uh, it was a it was a little stocking stuffer. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're good. They're good, but I'm here to tell you, they're not as good as the original. No, what? Yes, they they're better. I mean, they're better. Okay. So if you you're if you take white are, are chocolate, are you just are you anti original? Is that no, no, what no, you I'm, are? Because well, I'm starting to wonder. I'm okay. starting to wonder, Tim. I'm I don't know g- how you could even fathom to say those are better than the original Reese's. Well, because they're better, and I, I don't know really how to describe it other than I think the white chocolate is more mild and uh, plays off the uh, earthy notes of the peanut butter a little better than does uh, the original milk chocolate. Um, and I will die on that hill. I will also say uh, white chocolate working its way into other things like Kit Kats. I don't know if you've had the white chocolate Kit Kats. They're amazing. Uh, the white chocolate M&Ms, white chocolate peanut M&Ms. Fantastic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I know it's not going to be as good as the original, just like it is with the Reese's. So, um, you know, I, I just I'm, I'm a little flabbergasted with you that you wouldn't think the original Reese's is better. Because, I mean, it's it's not even, like, in the same ballpark for me. It's good. I don't dislike it. I like it. But it's just not even close to the same level. I mean, I just prefer innovation, Justin. You know, you're a guy that likes, you know, you're a creature of habit. I, I prefer innovation and, and living life on the edge. Therefore, I take my Reese's white. And I will say... um, you know, I haven't tried the Reese's, the, the thick jumbo Reese's peanut butter cup with little Reese's pieces inside. Um, I think that's pretty good. And I also just wanted to that say, note the way I said that, Reese's pieces. Um, just, it's not Reese's pieces, which some people say drives me nuts. Reese's pieces. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> anybody, anybody who says that uh, needs it's, to uh, go to YouTube and learn how to say it correctly. It's a trigger. So. 
it's a tricker. Uh, so, you know, before we talk about the Belk Bowl, we did have a really exciting basketball game that happened this weekend. So we had uh, Virginia, <laughs> Virginia Tech. Good lead-in. Yeah, good lead-in. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Let's man, talk about it. Just, the, the rich get richer, Tim. Uh, I, I stopped watching with five minutes left. I couldn't take any more. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't think it was necessarily Virginia's just that great. I mean, we Virginia Tech just could not make a shot. No. Um, so a tough, tough game there. I mean, I still like what Mike Young is doing. I just think offensively we're just going to have those days this year with uh, with the young basketball team. Not really with much uh, consistently outside of Landers Nolly. I really wanted to see Landers just take the game over and go full Kobe mode on the game, but that that didn't happen. So, so uh, tough one to swallow. It's uh, it's never fun scoring thirty nine points in a game, um, especially against your uh, your arch rival. Yeah, I mean forty is kind of that threshold that you know if you hit below forty, it's always like what on earth happened. This one's pretty easy to explain. Virginia Tech this year not. Not as talented. Um, this is obviously going to be a down year given what had happened prior to Mike Young getting here. Um, and given what we have talent-wise, uh, there's going to be a lack of ability to create our own shot. So as you've seen, we've leaned heavily into uh, welping, welcoming on the friend, you know, our new friend, the three-pointer. Um, and we love to shoot it at a high clip. The problem is when you're relying on the three-pointer and the three-pointer isn't falling and you can't create your own shot, you're going to run into games like we had against Virginia, who just so happens to be one of the toughest teams to create your own shot against in the nation. Um, and so I expect that's going to happen a couple other times this year, maybe not to the extent that it happened, you know, maybe not a 30-point, 39-point howler of a game. Um, but, uh, you know, I expect to see it happen again. Um, but that that doesn't make me see less of, of Mike Young or, or feel worse about the team. I mean, we all kind of understood what this year was going to be before we tipped off. Yeah, it's just uh, it's frustrating to watch those kinds of games. Um, I mean, it's painful, first off. It doesn't matter who the teams are just to watch a, a basketball game like that because it wasn't like UVA was really lighting up the scoreboard either. Um, they did get a little bit hot there towards the end, but you know, Hey, just one of those things. I'm going to move on. I'm not even going to think about it. Uh, let's go on to the belt bowl, Tim. Do we, I mean, do you want to talk about cliff diving or I haven't really been candy? able to like talk about it, talk about it to somebody. I haven't so, talked to anyone about it. I've just internalized and yeah. probably giving myself ulcers by doing so. You know, I've I've mentioned it to people, and I'm like, listen, it's a long story. You don't want to hear, and I just go straight into the details. And then I yeah. realize, like, they probably think I'm a loser, you know? Yeah. I'm just giving these people way too much about the game. Here's the deal. Virginia Tech lost 37-30, to 30, okay? They a late did. TD inflated the score. It was basically 31-30 before a defensive touchdown. You know... The thing about the game that I want to get off my chest first is despite everything that happened with the officials, pregame, etc., I still felt like Tech should have won the game by double digits. Hard agree. Hard and agree. I mean, that I think days later is why I'm still so frustrated about the outcome of the game. And it's easy to sit there and look at the box score and say, oh, Lynn Bowden had, you know, 200 and whatever yards rushing and Kentucky ran for over 300 yards. That's all they do. Okay. He completed one pass at the end of the game for a touchdown. I get it. Okay. 
little smack in the face. Blown coverage is what it is. But Virginia Tech had every opportunity to win the game. And did they have to keep winning the game? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Because the refs took that away from them. Okay? And we'll talk about that in a second. Mm. But for me, the most frustrating part of the afternoon, you've got a fourth and one situation at midfield and Bowden completes a pass. And then you just continue to watch the clock just drain away, drain away, drain away. And you're not really doing anything. They're just getting three yards, five yards, six yards, two yards, four yards. They just keep eating the clock. They keep eating yardage. They're not moving the ball consistently down the field, but just with the way that the clock was managed down the stretch. I mean, Tim, Kentucky held the ball for over 12 and a half minutes of the last 14 minutes of the game. Sure felt like it. They did. That's a fact. So Virginia Tech just could do nothing. It was like their hands were tied. And again, they they made some plays that we'll talk about in a second. But the other thing that's really frustrating for me is you've got Bowden, who threw the touchdown last drive, barely any time left on the clock, 15 seconds. I'm starting to see a trend in that scenario. And I understand it's 15 seconds, but hear me out here. There's been three games in the last, I don't know, two months. I'm talking Notre Dame, Virginia, Kentucky, all right? Where Kentucky and Notre Dame scored in the last 30 seconds of the game. You're just trying to throw up a prayer there to see what can happen, you know, try to get in the field goal range. The thing with each of these games, you could have gotten into field goal range or at least tried. Brian Johnson had kicked a 54-yard field goal earlier in the game. Right. It looks like there's nothing in the playbook for that scenario. It's been three games now where they've been in a two-minute situation and or under 30 seconds to play, and the offense has looked completely and utterly lost. I don't understand how, if it happens one time, I'll give you the one F, the one fail, how you don't address that in practice going forward. Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do in two minutes. Here's what we're going to do in a minute. Here's what we're going to do in 30 seconds. Okay, here's what we're going to do if we have to get a field goal. Here's what we're going to do if we need to get a touchdown. That needs to be scripted out. They should already know what the plays are. Yeah. Okay? That's in the pregame plan. They're lost. And with the game plan, in general, I thought the game plan was fine. You know? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt through, it was fine. Look at what we did on the ground. We, Yeah. Uh, offensively, we got exactly what we wanted for 60% of that game. And there was very, very little resistance from Kentucky. And, and that's where my rub is. I mean, I'll let you continue talking. But that's why I'm angry. We we had the game by the scruff of the neck, and we've shown time and time again this year that we lack any sort of killer mentality on this team. And to me, that's a coaching issue. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that later, but um, very frustrating. I mean, look at Deshaun McLeese average had to average almost 13, 12 yards a carry. He well, got whatever he Deshaun, wanted. He only had 11 carries. Yeah, ridiculous. It was working every time he touched the ball, and he only got 11 carries. 
So maybe instead of running a QB sweep to the short side of the field, oh maybe we give it to a running back that's averaging 12 and a half yards a carry. Okay. And I don't want to get into so much play calling throughout the game because, like I said, I thought the game plan was fine. The one thing that, not the one thing, okay, because there's a couple of things that I'm irritated about, if you can't already <laughs> tell. You know, this is a bowl game. Okay. The Belk Bowl. The granddaddy of them all, as it were. This isn't the Chick-fil-A Bowl in the semifinal of the college football playoff. No. This is the Belk Bowl. Maybe you pull out a trick or two out of your hat. Maybe, instead of kicking a field goal on the five, on fourth and one, maybe you go for it. Because it's the Belk Bowl. Okay? I saw no creativity... No aggression whatsoever. And I understand. I'm not putting it all on the coaching staff here because there was multiple times where execution on the oh, field sure. cost Virginia Tech. Yeah, specifically multiple the times. wide receivers. I mean, if we're going to call yes. a position group out, the, the wide receivers, you could point to them and say, well, and, and I hate when people do this, it's never just one unit that loses the ball game in a close ball game. It's many things that lead up to it. But, I mean, you're talking about four or five critical drops from our wide receivers that uh, really, really let us down. That hurt. Well, there was two really, really, really (laughs) critical drops. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. You had the Trey Turner drop on the third and one. Sure. That set up a 24-yard field goal or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then you had the Damon Hazleton drop at midfield, which resulting in Virginia Tech punting and not getting the ball again until there was 15 seconds left in the game. And that one was on the uh, quick slant, correct? Quick slant, wide open. Yeah, and so that one, you know, who who knows how many yards that would have gone for. But, I mean, these are just, were the throws pinpoint perfect from Hooker? No. Were they they balls that should have been caught every single one of them? Um, and, and that, that's got to tighten up. And obviously I'm not going to sit here and blame the coaches for that. Right. Um, but, but we had a couple issues on that and, and on our defense as a whole, our, our players were in position to make plays time and time again. I get it. Lynn Bowden, extremely athletic, extremely wiggly. He, he's got, he got to be a hard guy to tackle clearly. And it's not just a problem for us. He did this to the bulk of, you know, the schedule when he was the starting quarterback, uh, but we were in plays to make stops, and he would get away time and time and time again. And, uh, yeah, the tackling was – and the pursuit angles, oh, my word, were atrocious. And and specifically from – you know, I hate to call it Divine Diablo, but Divine Diablo uh, didn't have a great game. Dax, again, looked extremely slow. Um, and it was just unfortunate because, you know, Kentucky got to a point where they wore us down, and, and they were able to do what they want. But all of this can be avoided – we wouldn't be speaking so much about this if it weren't for our lack of ability to kill off a game that shows up time and time again, and it's frustrating because that, to me, should be the easiest thing, right? I mean, you should go in knowing, you know, in a one-score game that kicking a field goal isn't going to do much for you if it's only going to continue to make it a one-score game. Uh, you know, if you don't think you can get three yards on a first down to potentially get you six, seven points, you know, what, what are you even showing up for? Um, you know, I remember that's, tweeting when that's that the happened, thing, right? That, that is the thing that it's rugby, a yard. It's, it's putting Quincy Patterson, anything. I mean, and, why and, do and we even have him? We don't. So when we get a lead, this is something that's going to have to change. This has been all year. Virginia tech gets a lead and the way that they call plays changes drastically. 
It's like all of a sudden Virginia Tech is scared to take risks. Virginia Tech is scared to be aggressive. Virginia Tech is scared to do the same thing that they were doing the entire ball game. It's called the Mike the McCarthy yeah. football and, game management school of, of football. That's and it's what it terrible. And, and remember, going preseason, you know, we're talking about criticisms of Cornelson. People seem to point to his offensive production, which, guys, he got 329 total yards this game. They, we weren't blowing it out of the water. We should have. We should have been well over 400, but we didn't. Um, people like to point to all the yardage he earns. And the points he scores. And I'm with you. Cornelson, by and large, can do a decent job when he's when we outmatch the other opponent. And when we set up with solid game plans. Because, by and large, we come into these football games with pretty good game plans. That's been the case with him. What hasn't changed is when we need that offense to move the football. With a lead. Hell, without a lead. You know, call it a two-minute drill time to take the lead back. We have no clue what we're doing. We have no idea how to slow the game down and still be effective. Our idea of slowing the game down is forgetting how to move the football. And at some point, there's going to be a need. There's going to need to be a sit down, and we're going to have to figure out how to do that, how to kill off a game, because that's important. And if we can't figure out how to kill off a game, these are going to continue to be issues. And I get it. Look, 2020 is our year. But I'm tired of seeing the same issues with this Hokie football team, and I'm tired of hearing excuses because 2019 could have also been a good year for us. It should have been a good year. Boston College should have been beat. We shouldn't have lost to Virginia, and we sure as hell shouldn't have lost to Kentucky. And that, to me, just puts a whole bitter taste on my mouth with the fantastic coaching job that Fuente did to get us out of the misery and the mire that occurred after that Duke loss at home. Yeah, and I mean— fact of the matter is Virginia Tech down the stretch once they made the move to Hooker you know I'll throw the first two losses out felt like a different football team even oh, yeah. with the game that we just watched for okay? sure for sure they lost three games from that point two in the last 30 seconds and the UVA game yeah okay and I don't I they, don't want to hear about youth anymore they could have won. They could have won them all. That was a young team that they, still they should have won those games, right? I mean, you can't they lost just every single one. You, you can't just sit there and, and point at the youth excuse. Um, it went when evaluating this football staff, and and I'm I'm really tired of hearing that from all the Hokies. Yes, we realize that there are going to be a lot of players that have played significant minutes that are going to be here in 2020. If that's not a nine-win ball club next year, a ten-win ball club. We should really start looking long and hard at Justin Fuente. I'm not saying fire him, but he's going to go into the hot seat that following season if, if that's all he's able to produce. And seeing what we've done in close games does not give me a whole lot of hope that we're going to be able to kill off opponents like we'll need to. We're going to have to figure out how to get a dog mentality real quick because this, well, time, this team really likes to pack it in when they really need to show up, especially... Uh, when it comes to deciding you know, when to take your risks, when to be aggressive, and when to really take hold of the game when it's there to be taken hold of. And this was another prime there's, example of that. There's no doubt. And I mean, again, we're talking about the coaches, but execution is also to blame here. And I oh, yeah. keep saying that because sure. I know there's a crowd that refuses to see it that way. But guess what? Execution 
cost them the game multiple times. Yeah. Now, we don't know what would have happened after those plays converted. Okay? We're not in the business of fortune-telling. But if you don't think that execution didn't play a factor in this game and it's all in the coaches, you need to wake up, pinch yourself from whatever dream you're in, and stop being a blowhard and talking about the coaches need to be fired and, you know, whatever else you're saying. This was a full team loss. Absolutely. Coaches, players, across the board. Hinden Hooker did not play well. No. The receivers didn't play well. The running backs played well, but they barely got any touches. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we've talked about all this, okay? And guess what? Even with everything that we've talked about, all those opportunities to win the game, they still won the game. Yeah, they did. The officials... had two just calls before, in this before game. we go into those go those calls really quickly. I just want to say us as fans, and I'm lopping me and you in here in this too. I'm not just you know trying to say we're above any other fan. I mean that's all we are. We're fans just like anybody else. We have a tendency to say X is the reason we lost. The offense is the reason we lost. The defense is the reason we lost. The coaching staff is the reason we lost. The players are the reason we lost. It's execution. It's scheming. You can't do that. And you really have to to fight going into that trap in most cases. In some games, sure, it's a landslide problem with everybody or with one group. But in this case, execution was one of the reasons. Coaching was one of the reasons. I don't think we've made good decisions as coaches. Cornelson with what he did in that second half, and that could have been Fuente's influence. And, you know, choosing when, you know, especially not going forward on that fourth down when all of your people that have touched the ball from a rushing capacity rushed over four yards of carry and you had to get two to three yards and you wouldn't do it, huge miss. So we got the players, we've got the coaches, we've got the offense, we've got the defense. Everyone had a hand in this loss. It's not one group or the other. Don't fall for that trap. As you were. (laughs) The officials also had a hand in this loss. Oh, man. They sure did, Justin. And, again, there's going to be an audience out there. Oh, you know, you can't just keep putting it on the officials. No, I can, and I will. Okay. You can't blame the officials guy is never late. He's never late. Love that guy. I love love that guy. Love him. Uh, Definitely of any other fan base that had any kind of thing at stake. So obviously uh, UVA fans, a lot of them uh, feel like we were playing them in this game. Um, At least that's the way that it comes off. Um, Kentucky fans, you know, delusional um, because they can't see it this way. It just, it makes me question everything that goes into a decision-making process on the football field. And it also makes me wonder, why do we even have cameras there for review, okay? The first interception, on third and eight, midway through the third quarter, the receiver falls down, VT intercepts the ball, they call pass interference. Absolutely horrendous call. Not reviewable in college football. Why isn't it reviewable? And don't give me a review system like the NFL has. That's BS. Because they don't overturn anything, okay? If it's called pass interference on the field, the guy could literally take the guy's helmet off before the play, before the ball even gets there, and they'll say whatever call in the field happened, is it stands, okay? Right. That had a huge impact on the game. 
okay? Why? Hokies had all the momentum at that point. McLeese had just run for a 43-yard touchdown. They're up 24-17. It felt like they had taken control back of the game. It felt like with that interception, boom, get the hammer out. We're putting the nail in the coffin, okay? Instead, refs blow the call. Three plays later, Bowden takes 61 yards to the house. Touchdown. That's not the ref's fault, okay? Should there have been an opportunity for Bowden to make a play in that scenario? No. That was the ref's fault, okay? The most famous call in the game came on the final play of the, or or not the final play, on the final drive, I should say. Close to it. Kentucky held the ball for basically the entire fourth quarter. You know, from the 13-32 mark left in the fourth quarter, you know, Virginia Tech ran three offensive plays, okay, before the last drive. After they, which was 15 seconds, and I think, what did they run? One play, it was fumble, return for a touchdown? That's right. I don't even know. So after they had forced a turnover, they had to punt at midfield after the Hazel didn't drop. You know, they're getting the chunk yardage plays, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Bowden goes up the middle. Tisdale rips the ball out of him. He's laying with the football on the ground. Bowden continues to inch forward, ballless. Because Tisdale has it. He's on the ground holding the football. Refs call forward progression. Now, that's funny because where the ball was marked was two yards past where Tisdale was laying with it on the ground. Right. What else is funny, Tim, (laughs) is we have these cameras and... I'm not getting into, well, it was forward progression, you can't review it. The fact of the matter is, if we have a review system in college football that clearly was a fumble, that clearly was not forward progression stop by the time he fumbled, because you marked it ahead of where the fumble happened. Right. I mean, his forward progress was never stopped. In order to rule forward progress, forward progress must be stopped. And they marked him at the apex, at the highest point that he got that football and where he fell. That's not forward progress. Um, and it was never, it was never blown dead. Um, and I agree, there should have been something done. But college does have rules for this uh, on limitations on reviewable plays in the, in the rule book, Article 7. It says no other plays or officiating decisions are reviewable. So this is referring to forward progress not being reviewable, among other things. Um, However, and I'm quoting this from the rules itself, the replay official may correct egregious errors, including those involving the game clock, whether or not a play is reviewable. So it doesn't matter in the end whether or not the play is not reviewable. It, it, It matters whether or not it's egregious. So I'll, in my I'll eyes, tell you, Tim. I'll in tell my you. eyes, that's egregious. If you're marking a ball, yes, and assuming a a runner has the football and you've marked it two spots, two yards ahead of where the where he lost the ball, that's egregious. You got you I'll gave the guy you, forward progress without without possession of the football. You can't they, have forward progress without the football. They never overturn those. It just doesn't happen. It's like Mm-mm. the pass interference rule. In the NFL. Agreed. Just, However, I would like you to, to show me one play like that 
since review has been implemented. I'm not so sure there's been a more clear case of a fumble. Well, that's this is what I'm saying. Than that. This is kind of getting me to my point. So we've got these reviews. We've got these cameras. First off, okay, we're going to have like 50, 60 cameras at the national championship. Talking about another play here, Kentucky had a fumble in the game. And everybody's like, oh, Virginia Tech caught a break. How do you know? <laughs> you couldn't see the football. There was no angle. You couldn't see it. So don't tell me Virginia Tech caught a break. You have no freaking idea, and neither does anybody else. Right. Because somehow, at the Belk Bowl, a college football game, in 2019, we don't have an angle on a play that happens in the middle of the field. Right. How does that happen? How does and it I, happen? And I've seen the markup on those polos at Belks. They they no doubt have the money to throw more cameras into this game. And I'm, I'm frustrated I'm with, with a bunch of different things with these officials. Don't forget. Do not let all of this forget you. That Bowden punched a Virginia Tech player pregame. Oh, well, that happened uh, an hour outside of their jurisdiction. Right, which is bull. So, if, so. if that really is that arbitrary and that's what's going to stop you from doing what's right— and having someone who throws a punch eliminated from being able to participate in the contest, give me a break. But also, yeah. don't forget, on that same exact drive, the one that we're currently uh, you know, being very frustrated with, that fourth down conversion in their own territory where the wide receiver dove to catch the ball, I saw one angle on this, and it looked like it hit the ground. They, they only they showed show one another angle. angle. Right. So Isn't that I'm a big enough play that needs to be automatically stopped and reviewed? It should be, but Kentucky hmm. moved fast. And in this case, oh, in these scenarios, I, I gotta tell you, Virginia Tech has Tate to be moving faster. quickly and t- getting into the headset. Justin, I think you're going to want to call a timeout here. And I know we hate to talk about blaming the coaches for the officials' mistakes. And I get that's upset some people, obviously based on some Twitter comments. However, we got to get some, because that's two times, in my opinion, that we should have called a timeout. I don't give a crap what the officials said on the field. You call a timeout, you let that replay official look at it. Because you got to give the guys time. Clearly, the replay official didn't have enough time to look at that catch. Because the one angle that I saw looked like he trapped it. And, you know, that's not even looking at it from the side angle, which I know they had. So, very frustrating when you talk about all of these officiating gaffes. And the ones that irritate me are not, I mean, the pass interference, look, terrible call. Terrible call. But those aren't, you know, you, you can't use the cameras to do anything about a pass interference call. But we have some pretty to. clear evidence that, that there were some issues on that final drive, and Kentucky got the benefit of the doubt twice. And, and that's still so hard for me to get over. I just, it's, it's I hard. cannot, I can't honestly fathom that we're sitting here, now 2020, and we can watch an egregious penalty that occurs on the field that may or may not have been missed, and I understand these people are human. But that's why we have the cameras, right? To get the call correct. And I don't care if the call is reviewable or not. That rule, that terminology needs to get the F out the rule book. Oh, yeah. Okay? If you're telling me you can't review that clear fumble because an official deemed it forward progress, which they may have deemed it that after the fact, but they sure didn't call it live. Because of where they spotted that ball. So if, if that's what's stopping us from reviewing a clear error, throw that the heck out of the rule book. Throw, but here's what I'm saying. The language is already in the rule book for the replay official to override that call. 
the over the, the officiating the re- replay officials given carte blanche when it comes to fixing egregious errors that occur on that football field. But and we I can't, can't think of anything more egregious than what happened on that Tisdale strip. The game we don't should even have ended see them right make the correct calls with replay, though. Even I mean, you're when right. It's a call that they can replay. Look at the Orange right. Bowl with Kyle Trask. He fumbled. Yeah. That was the call on the field, and they overturned it. Yeah. You're right. What are you like? What? Yeah. Like, how do you watch that and say that he didn't fumble? I agree. I agree with and you. And I mean, that is a play that is reviewable. So. Now you're going to say, okay, well, they can make this play if it's egregious. I agree with you. But they can't get it right. They can't get anything right. So the officials have now cost Virginia Tech two bowls, two bowl wins in the last seven years. (laughs) You just had to bring Danny Cole into this, didn't you? Okay. The Sugar Bowl game, Danny Cole caught the ball. I think the world knows that. Michigan knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. And Lynn Bowden fumbled. So I can't wait for what the next bowl game is that the refs are going to screw up for Virginia Tech. And I want this on the record, too. This is the Belk Bowl. So at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter that much. Okay, it's always no. great to win a bowl game. It's great for momentum, things like that. Recruiting, yeah, beat this school, beat this conference, whatever. What I get frustrated about is consistently executing from a play standpoint, but then also when there's so many issues that the officials should easily be able to fix and correct. They, it's a given. They should be able to fix it. We have video to see this. Okay, let's get the call right. And we can't do it. Right. So now, imagine if, that was a, imagine if that was a college football playoff game. Imagine if you were the Saints last year. Imagine if you were the Saints today. <laughs> that was a push-off. It was. I mean, blatant I mean, pass interference. It was, but... Uh, Let's use know. last year's example. Yeah, that's a better okay. example. I mean, the most egregious pass interference you've ever seen. Oh, well, we can't do anything. We're not allowed to review it. Then we shouldn't be able to review anything, okay? If you cannot overturn a call that is so blatantly obvious, and as you say, it's in the college football rule book, I don't know about the NFL. I'm guessing it's not. I don't think so. I've never seen that happen, and I watch a lot of football. A lot. Too much. That's my (laughs) wife. too much. Okay. Um, look, I, look, I've I, never I totally seen it agree with you. I totally agree with you. And, and that's why I've had such a hard time getting over this game. Because, yes, in the grand scheme of things, not a big deal. But that game was there for us to win. We got, we, we got in our own way. Not only did we get in our own way, There's we no prevented doubt. ourselves from winning. The officials Correct. did their best to make sure that we didn't win. And all of this, to me, just adds to a mountain of frustration about this game. So... Maybe we should try Kentucky to Kentucky scored some good fourteen points. At some point, you know, maybe maybe we should focus on some positives. Kentucky scored fourteen points after officials ruined two play calls that went against Virginia Tech. That should have been turnovers. Agreed. They scored fourteen points off of turnovers given to them by the officials. Is that a stat? Maybe we should start tracking that. 
Yeah. Because Virginia this Tech's is 0 2. Worst case scenario. Down 21 0. Officiating mistakes ago. I don't know that I've seen a game in my life where a team that I rooted for has felt more hard done. And I've watched a lot of football games in 32 years. So. Yeah. Well, so this at, is at the, the end of the day, because, you know, I think we can both agree the officiating system. Is broken, and I, I'm saying this because it's not just this game. Okay, it's not just Virginia Tech that it's affecting. You know, we cited the example in the Orange Bowl. Go back and watch the play. It was a fumble. They said no, nope. no, he didn't fumble. I don't know if it's the SEC thing, which I would hope not. I'm just irritated, so I'm just going to say it because it happened to yeah. two SEC schools. But it's something. I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, the replays are done by people not on the field. So it's not just the officials that are calling all these plays incorrectly. So it's just it's a systematic problem. There's no better way to describe it. We have these yeah. rules, and the people that are enforcing them have no idea what they're doing. Right. I can't say it any better. Right. I agree. I agree. Say la vie. So, you know, hey, Virginia Tech lost. I don't know if you've uh, figured that out by now. Um, but tough way to go into uh, to go into the off season. And I'll say this too: like, no matter if they won the game or lost the game, all everything that we've talked about still happened. But the mentality is completely different so just think about that because it feels like the sky is falling you know it's raining it's a cloudy day you know it wasn't going to be all sunshines and rainbows if they had won because those same problems are still there the same things that we're talking about are still there they just would have won the game and hey it's great to win that's all that matters right go one and oh but it doesn't cover up the imperfections and there are certainly imperfections so you know we'll see what happens in imperfections there are a mountain of excuses and yeah i i'm not just from us talking about the officials yeah no no no. if you at me about the officials i'm gonna snap because (laughs) you're getting at it justin you're getting at it i can tell you you need to go back and watch the game and honestly sit there objectively the two teams are brandless and watch it, and tell me you don't agree. Tell me. I'd love to hear you say that you don't agree with the two calls. Brandless football teams, doesn't matter what's on their helmet, what's on their jersey, tell me that those two calls weren't an absolute joke. And if you do, I just assume you don't understand football. That's it. I mean, that was a great rant. That was a great rant. You know, were there positives in the game? For me, um, you know, I I thought Tisdale certainly played an absolute great game. Um, You know, I feel like he complements Rayshard Ashby so well uh, from a speed standpoint. I think when we had Dax and Rayshard in at the same time again, uh, we lacked that punch uh, from a speed standpoint, from a playmaking standpoint. Um, You know, and I thought Rayshard, obviously, uh, played well as he's done seemingly in in every game, um, 
you know, I thought the offensive line was great in most parts. Brian Johnson had a great game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought the, the offensive line continues to impress me uh, with the work Vance Vice has done. Uh, we offensive imposed line, our will on the ground. We haven't uh, talked about them enough. No. They did a fantastic job. Agreed. I mean, Agreed. game ball goes to them, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Deshaun McLeese, obviously, he, we didn't see as much of him as we would like, but we got bowl game, bowl game. Uh, McLeese again. I'm not only with a big, long touchdown run, uh, but just, you know, 11 yards at, at 11.5. I'm looking at the stats right now, 11.5 yards to carry. Uh, 43 was the long for the touchdown, but the guy just ate up yards, um, you know, extremely, extremely effective. And that was so good to see. Um, you know, Brian Johnson, you know, as you mentioned, just what a guy. What a dude. He was an absolute dude in that game. Knocking in three field goals with, you know, a long of, was it 54, 55? 54. 54. Um, incredible. You know, it, what a, what a, we've had good players and, and we continue to get good plays from people. And it's just a shame, uh, you know, that we had to have such a frustrating way to lose this game because I would have loved to have gone into this offseason with momentum given what we're bringing back. Now, I have my concerns. And I could go 10 minutes more going over this game, speaking specifically to my concerns on what we're bringing back and some of the areas I still feel, feel we're deficient. Um, but it's just I've got nothing left when it comes to this game. This game took everything out of me. And, you know, I, I've been harsh on Fuente to this point. Um, but, you know, I... Life is life goes on, and you know Fuente. I think you know a reporter asked him in the post game presser. I think everybody's seen it. Um, you know, he said, "Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, coach," and and he kind of let out one of the most awkward laughs ever and said, "It's okay. Essentially, nobody died." Um, it was a very Kawhi Leonard laugh. It was very Kawhi Leonard, um, and it, you know it was nice to see that side of Fuente because it felt like a gut punch. It still does, but we need to keep it you know, in perspective, I think, which is, again, it was the Belk Bowl. It's just the Belk Bowl. This is fine. Um, In the end, Kentucky fans will remember the day that Lynn Bowden went crazy on the Virginia Tech Hokies, uh, and I sure would have loved to see our defense play better. Um, But in the end, it's the Belk Bowl, and we move on. I just hope we get to the point soon where we stop hearing about our youth and we stop hearing about how frustrated we are with coaches' decisions and mentality issues, and, and we get to the point where we're just rolling as a football team. And I'm, I'm positive on the future of the Hokies program right now. Who wouldn't be um, with everything we're bringing back? But it's just it's not the time to I, – I, it's hard to, for me to find any more positives than we've already mentioned. And I'd love to be more positive because I feel like we are just complete negative Nancys right now. And, um, you know, I think – in some ways, that's unavoidable with this loss. It was the perfect storm of bad things happen. And, uh, you know, we're just going to be like, uh, was it Wahlberg that went down with the ship in the perfect storm? That was George Clooney. I'm going to be like George yeah. Clooney wow. and sink to the bottom of the North there. Atlantic uh, in a sea of my own uh, sorrow and depression um, because I've just it's hard for me to really get happy and find the positives in this one. Well, here's here's the deal. I'm gonna bottle up my unhappiness. It's Your this angst. is a Belk Bowl bottle. Okay, this is like a nice Belk Bowl bottle of wine, and it tastes horrible. 
and I never <laughs> want to drink it again. I like okay? milk. Now milk I've got good. a happier bottle of wine over here that I'll drink from time to time. That's how I kind of feel about the direction of the Virginia Tech football program right now. So yeah, that that happy like said, bottle of like, wine is it's got youth scribbled on the front. Um, PT for young guys. That's the bottle of wine you're going to be drinking out of to make yourself feel better. Um, because that should be the focus. I mean, this this was a lot of learning on the job for this team. It's just year after year we hear how yeah, young the team is. Yeah, we've done that two is. years now. So right. 2020 is the show me year. And that's, <laughs> right. that's what it, it has to is. be. Because at some so point, if you're this young, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what am I doing uh, to keep driving off older players or you know not recruiting the right players to to fit the needs from a talent standpoint yeah so like i said like honestly from year to year i i just i compartmentalize bowls in my head like i can barely even remember what bowl game we're in from year to year because if we're not in the acc championship whatever bowl game we're in doesn't really matter to me it's like i'm great that i'm you know i'm glad we're there glad we're in a bowl but if we're not winning a conference, if we're not competing to win the conference, at the end of the day, it's just an exhibition game. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. What I care about is what we talked about today. And I'm not going to go back and recap it for you, okay? But next year, Virginia Tech better be in that ACC championship game. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's if the you remember, If you recall 2016, if you recall 2016, Virginia Tech is the team that has come closest to knocking off national championship caliber Clemson of anybody since Clemson has been on this run in the conference. And, and I remember I'm old enough to remember when Justin Fuente said we were going to catch Clemson at the end of that game. And are you old enough? Yeah, I'm old enough to remember that, Justin. And yeah. you know, so to to this point well, that he hasn't happened. Well, he didn't say when, Tim. True. True. So, but I took him at his word, Justin, and I I'm tired. I, I think our whole view of this football program and our expectations we need to remember that we are virginia tech i think over the past seven or eight years we've become this program that's accepting mediocre results and i don't like it i really don't like it people should be upset just blindly upset that this is where we are right now and and we're putting out these poor performances in bowl games. Really, we're putting out poor performances on just about any football program with a pulse. Let's say a, a football program who's eight wins or above or finishes the year eight wins or above. I don't know what our record is, but I can't imagine it's good. And we as an entire fan base should be upset. We should be upset because the expectations of Virginia Tech, who the Virginia Tech Hokies are, we're, they're not being met, and they haven't been met outside of that first year. And it doesn't look like we're any closer than we were at the end of the Frank Beamer years. And I get it. We are in theory because there is, in theory, a lot of young players getting playing time. And in theory, the recruiting classes have been better than Frank's, at least up until this year. But we need to see that fire. And I would love to hear Justin Fuente come out one time and say, yep, that was unacceptable with actual fire and actual conviction. Make me believe that you understand what the expectations of the Virginia Tech Hokies are. And maybe these expert expectations are not being set out. Maybe it's a problem that goes higher up than just Justin Fuente. Maybe this is an AD issue. I love Whit Babcock from what I know about him, especially love some of the decisions he's made uh, from a hiring standpoint. But I want 
accountability, and I want somebody to just say, yeah, man, we, we flat out have dropped the ball many years in a row, and this is not acceptable with where we think Virginia Tech should be and where Virginia Tech is in the college football landscape. Because I'm sorry, with the Coastal as weak as it's been, for us to have missed out on the championship game for three years now, two years, whatever it's been, is unacceptable. Well, look in the mirror, Tim. It's weak because programs like us, Miami, suck. We've been terrible over the last decade. But that's your opportunity. We're, Virginia I'm Tech not, should be I'm seizing not, this opportunity. I'm not opportunity. saying it's not, but I'm saying we're part of the we're part of the problem with the coastal. Yeah, the I agree. Coastal is is uh, Hard it's agree. two teams that are supposed to carry the coastal. Virginia Tech and Miami. Oh, you know, maybe you can get something out of North Carolina from year to year. You know, it looks like we will next year. You know, Virginia, anything they give you is is just you know you'll take it and run. You know, Pitt the same thing, but you know it's just it's the coastal. It's the coastal. Miami's been terrible since they've joined the ACC. Virginia Tech dominated the start, and they've just they've hit this rut. And I mean, listen. I understand your 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 Fuente comments and I get it. You know, at the end of the day, going back to the comment about we're gonna catch Clemson, there's a long way to go. You are way behind in that race because we're multiple catching leagues Clemson, away from Clemson. Catching Clemson starts with one, we beat them in the ACC championship game. That's step number one. Step number two is you got a top 10 recruiting class. Step number three is you do it in back-to-back years. So until I see that happen, until I see that three-step process to catching Clemson, it's just noise. So 2020 is the year. Go out, got some big non-conference games. We're going to talk about 2020 at length because there's nothing else to talk about in the offseason, right? So we'll talk about 2020 when the time comes. I mean, I, I just I feel like Mr. Right Mugatu. Direction. I feel like Mr. Mugatu and Zoolander. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, and I feel like everybody in that football staff and a bunch of our fans have forgotten where we came from. And everybody seems to go around with this moniker that losing in the belt bowl is somehow acceptable, and having such a poor recruiting class is somehow acceptable. We we come along now, and we're just accepting these things, and at some point. Enough is enough, and I just—I'm not saying we fire the guy right now. I'm not nowhere close to that. Fuente's done an okay job, but I would love to hear something firm from somebody, man, that just says, "Hey, this is this is our statement of intent. This is where we feel like the standard is." I mean, what's our standard, Justin? What's today as it stands? What is the Virginia Tech standard when it comes to football? Um, don't don't answer that because it probably is going to hurt my feelings. And maybe I mean, I'm the one that's it's delusional just kind here. Of all over the board. Maybe maybe I'm the one that's delusional. But I see. But here's, here's an insanely here's the, weak here's coastal the hard division. Truth, Tim. Here's the hard truth. How are we here? How are we here's the hard here truth. with as bad as the coastal's been in the last four years? Fuente has more wins in the last four years of the Beamer era. It, it, it sure agreed. This it, whole, does, it certainly doesn't feel that way though, does it? Well, no. You know what the you know what it feels like. It feels like the last four eras of the Beamer era 
in the, 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 the most recent era with Fuente is all just one big long period of time and there's no real daggum difference. Well, it is actually. You're, you're right about that. It's it's know. the same thing over yeah. and over and over again. And do we make changes to address some of these things? No. It's status quo as always because apparently this has become acceptable now. And well, maybe I'm I, just I think I think a you do have ass. to give Fuente some I don't I don't know. What some has he credit done? this year with just changes on the coaching staff. And I know we didn't see the changes that we For wanted sure. necessarily on the offensive side of the ball. The, but I do think what Jerry Kill and the influence that he has on there shouldn't be understated. And for a guy to bring in a guy like Kill in the role that he's in is uh, probably not the easiest thing to do. So from that standpoint, I think we've got two decision makers, which I think is good. I mean, at the end of the day, there's really one decision maker, but he's there's like a 1A and a 1B, essentially. I think we're headed in the right direction. I, I feel I hope good so. about where we're at. And I'll be honest, like, you know, the Belk Bowl, I don't, I haven't been that pissed off about a a bowl game since the Danny Cole game. No, I and hear you. And for different reasons. I hear you. For different reasons, okay? Because we won that game, hands down. Sure. We won this game. But it shouldn't even come down to what happened. And I think that's what really pissed me off about it. And just seeing us in close games throughout the year, like, that's got to be figured out. Because I don't care how good the team is from year to year, it felt like that was more of a planning and that was a coaching issue. No, so I, as, soon, as soon as we saw that second quarterback sweep to the short side of the field, somewhere at the end of the third to the beginning of the fourth, I think it was the end of the third. You knew. I mean, hell, we could have packed it up right then and there. There was something about that entire second half that was just like, oh, I've seen this movie before. I can go ahead and turn it off. And we've got to get that mentality out. We have got to figure out how to be explosive, how to be killers again, and how to go out there and and win football games that are wholly winnable. We've got to go out there and we've got to figure out how to win divisions that are wholly winnable again. Because at some point, you're going to mire yourself in the last eight years and realize, you know what? This is Virginia Tech now. And if this, if this is how far we've fallen, then maybe I just need to reset my expectations. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just frustrated with excuses. I'm frustrated with missed opportunities. I want accountability. And I don't well, feel like I ever get it. And my I just expectation, want to understand. My expectation for next year is ACC championship. There should be no other expectation. If we're not playing because in the ACC championship game, it's been a failure. Well, no, no. Winning it. Because if that's not the expectation, then you've lost the fan base. And 2020 should be a very good year. Will we be as deep and as talented as Clemson? No. no. But that doesn't mean we can't beat them. We play them one time if we get to the ACC championship, assuming they get there, which, you know, that'd be a huge upset if they didn't. But, yeah, it's winning the Coastal, winning the ACC championship. 
It should be able to happen. It's a good team. We'll talk about it later. But I got to tell you, uh, I'm kind of glad the Belk Bowl is retiring because anytime I hear the name Belk Bowl now, I'm just never going to be able to not think about this game. So, oh, man, we talked about this at length. Um, Let's jump to some of the other games in the ACC real quick. We're not going to hit on them long, Tim. Orange Bowl, Florida 36, UVA 28. Um. You know, Perkins had another big game. Four touchdowns, 323 passing. UVA, once again, only 52 yards on the ground. Um, you know, the big play of the game was Perkins eluding a few tackles there in the backfield, finding Joe Reed in the back of the end zone. Pretty pretty great play, but, you know, at the end of the day, Florida a little too much in the end. 244 yeah, on the ground. Shout out, you know, shout out to Virginia on this one. They put up a much better fight than I thought they would. I don't want to be too complimentary of the who's here. Um, but Bryce Perkins is such a dude, man. He's so good. He is such a good football player. Um, and especially given where he fell in Broncos tenure, they needed a guy like that more than anything. And I know the who's obviously appreciate everything that Bryce Perkins has done. Uh, but what a player he is And and props to Virginia. They, they played harder and fought harder and kept it closer than I ever thought they would on that one. Yeah, there's no doubt. I I had that here in my notes. Give UVA credit. You know, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what I wrote down here. Oh, it's, so it's I, disgusting. I, mean, I, 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 I can't they, believe I uh, said that. I thought they played a, a pretty good game for the most part. Um, but Florida just had a little bit too much in the end. And, you know, I also I got the sense, Tim, that Dan Mullen kind of didn't expect that. Didn't it feel like just yeah. watching the game and like his reaction on the sideline, like he just couldn't believe, like they weren't moving the ball at will against Virginia. Yeah, well, I think it, it was punch counter felt punch that for a while, and I think Dan was kind of surprised by the counter punching that Virginia was doing. I think Florida bought into the oh, it's the mighty SEC Florida Gators going up against this lowly Virginia team from the you know one of the worst divisions in college football. Um, Virginia was a good football team this year. I will say, though, Bronco has got to change up his sideline apparel game. He wears, like, windbreaker navy pants and a windbreaker-ish top, and it looks like he's going to go to the Bering Sea and catch crabs. Like, he looks like he needs to be on Deadliest Catch, and I can't stand it. Stop with the monochrome. Let's throw some, I don't know, what do coaches wear on the bottoms these days? But khakis? Uh, I mean... Chinos? What do the, they wear, Justin? I have no idea. I mean, they, they wear, like... That game apparel, sideline gear for the most part. Yeah, well, just make sure your top doesn't match the bottom. You look like the Kool-Aid man or something. I don't know. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Clearly my there. notes and your notes very different in their focus. Yeah. Uh, Louisville upends Mississippi State, 38-28 Music City Bowl. Game was actually, the, the score was closer than the game was. Uh, the three amigos, as I like to call them for Louisville, dominated once again Mikhail Cunningham. Uh, Javion Hawkins and Tutu Atwell just completely dominated. Mississippi State had some off-field troubles for the game, um, <laughs> resulting in one of their quarterbacks being suspended. It eventually led to their head coach, Joe Moorhead, being fired after two seasons. Rumored he had lost control of the program. So two programs going in complete opposite directions. Um, you know, Good luck to Mississippi State in their coaching search. But uh, Louisville, you got to be feeling pretty good about things there. Yeah, no, y- you do. And, you know, Atwell. This is so good. Um, you know, Cunningham also played really well this year, given everything that had happened, and he wasn't expected to be the starter. Um, so, you know, that's always fun. 
uh, and Hawkins, again, they've got such a good base built on. And, you know, for uh, at least in the years to come, I think Satterfield is setting himself up nicely. Maybe the cupboard wasn't as bare as we thought Petrino left it. Um, but, yeah, Mississippi State, uh, Moorhead gone uh, a little turbulent before the football game, and, and they just didn't show up. Uh, Louisville's explosiveness too much for them to handle. Arizona State, 20 Frosted Flakes. FSU, 14. <laughs> so this resulted in a Frosted Flakes bath for Herm Edwards, which oh. I thought was absolutely fantastic. The stuff dreams are made of. The only thing that was missing was the milk, which can you imagine <laughs> if they had dumped milk on Herm Edwards? Oh. Okay, so here's what I thought. Okay, again, my note's different from yours. You get the Gatorade, the orange Gatorade barrel that has the spout at the bottom. You fill it with Frosted Flakes, okay? Then you pour some nice tuper, some 2% milk on top, right? Maybe like six or seven jugs, and then let it sit for about five to six minutes, and then pour some of that milk from the spout into a cup and drink it. How good would that be? No? All right, moving on. Man, wow. It, is... it would be sugar. Yeah, I, I just I didn't know where you were going for that. I had to like what, it would be sugar be delicious. It would be delicious. Yeah. Yeah, no, it yeah. Okay. Jeez. For sure. Sorry, trying to have some fun here, trying to lighten up the mood, you know. <laughs> Won't do that again. Uh but I will no, say yeah, it was great. I will say it was nice to see the Slim Reaper out doing what the Slim Reaper does. Uh Throwing interceptions. <laughs> so, James Blackman, four picks. Uh, you know, FSU, that game was there for them to win. Tamarion Terry, though, I was. really wish that guy had gone to the NFL because he's a problem. That guy is good. It, did he not declare? No, he's coming back to Florida State. Why? Um, Norvell. You know, who wouldn't want to play for a Power 5 head coach? <laughs> or a group of five head coach. I'm sorry, soon to be a Power 5 head coach. I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe he's interested in playing in that offense, and I do think Norvell is a great hire for Florida State. So, uh, you know, maybe he's just that into it. But Tamarion, good gosh, that guy's fast. Yeah, um, he had a 91-yarder that got them back into the game. It was like after that happened, you thought, okay, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah. And then they got shut out in the fourth quarter, which was kind of a trend for them this year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, hey, tough uh, tough loss, eighth win of the year for uh, Arizona State. Uh, like I said in a previous episode, I really think Arizona State is a sleeping giant in college football. Yeah. I don't know when or if they'll ever get it going, but uh, you know they've they've got the capability. Um, sure. Somebody who would not be described as a sleeping giant in college football would be Boston College, Tim. So they got dismantled, thirty-eight-seven in the Birmingham Bowl. It looked like for a second this game may not happen which would have been the second year in a row that they had a bowl game canceled due to weather. But they weathered the storm, kind of, till the Bearcats just absolutely pummeled them. So didn't have A.J. Dillon in this game. Smart move by him. Uh, you know, they, they just couldn't get anything going offensively, basically, and, and got destroyed. 38-7. to uh, Ends a rough year for the Eagles. Uh, Boston College, Florida State, Miami... All lost their bowls. All finished six and seven. Uh, BC is looking forward to the new era with Jeff Halfley, the Ohio State head coach or offensive coordinator. I mean, future head coach for Boston College. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, I'm sure Eagles fans, all five thousand of them, are ready to turn the page on this season. Yeah, I mean that two-headed monster of Ritter and Warren, at least from a rushing perspective, super hard to deal with for anybody. But they had their way. 
uh, Ritter specifically with three touchdowns, obviously both over the century mark, which was obviously the main reason they were able to win the game. Boston College couldn't stop anything going on the ground against them. Uh, and Grossell uh, continues to not be super impressive. And, you know, when you can't get anything going uh, through the air, it makes it difficult, uh, you know, to complement what can be a really good run game at times. Uh, David Bailey, again, limited in what he was able to do on the ground. Garwo, too, uh, also limited. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, as you said, Boston College fans ready to turn the page, what the future holds from them. Uh, who can really say? Can they ever be the team that they were under Tom O'Brien uh, in the Big East days? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just I, I really don't know. That's a tough place to recruit to, and I'm not so sure that Adazio didn't have them at their ceiling. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. And, you know, for them, at least specifically as it pertains to this bowl, very disappointing. Uh, you know, another bowl disappointment as last year. I couldn't imagine anything more disappointing than having your bowl game rained out. Uh, so at least they got to play this year is all I can say. Yeah, I can think of some some things that are more disappointing. Oh, God, yeah, sure. <laughs> that was a bad. Yeah, I, I get it. I got to read the room better next time. <laughs> oh, man. OK, well, uh, that's all I had. You got anything else, Tim? You need to get off yeah, your chest. I just want to, I do, I want to get something off my chest. I just want to say, you know, most of what you heard, at least from a Venom standpoint for me, was frustrating and, and frustration driven. Uh, I am still somehow, and maybe this is Stockholm Syndrome, but I'm still very positive on the outlook for the Hokies. Um, you know, and, and maybe this was a dose of reality that I need, and maybe I'm the one living in an alternate universe that doesn't exist anymore. But I do want to say, uh, you know, again, the frustration for this one was an all-time high. One of the hardest losses I've had as a fan uh, in any sport that, you know, I follow. And I follow some teams that are used to losing. Hey, I'm a Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Braves fan. Uh, if anybody knows about, you know, choking Don't on the bring big baseball stage, into this. I'm just okay. saying. Just saying. I've seen a lot of bad stuff, man. And this hurt. So uh, don't take it too harshly. Uh, hopefully none of it was seen as too toxic. But, um yeah, tomorrow's a new day, and uh, you know I'm still positive on the Hokies' outlook, and I don't want to get anything I said twisted into I think Justin Fuente needs to go, or that it's his time again. Just just criticisms of the head coach that I feel are, are warranted. Yeah, yeah, you know I'm I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to the off season. I feel like you know we need a break. Uh, from everything that's gone on this year, 2019 was uh, it's a year. I don't know um, how I'm gonna look back on it, you know, in three, four years. I think it's gonna depend a lot on how next season goes and if it was worth it or not. Uh, because if next season's not worth it, I'm not gonna look back on 2019 as a uh, as a positive. So uh, I think it's still pending there. Um, you know, a lot of things still need to unfold before we can really kind of set expectations for 2020. Um, other than, you know, I, I, I don't really think it matters what's going to happen. I think everybody's going to expect to be in the ACC championship next year for Virginia Tech. Um, if they're not, then that will be disappointing, but there are still a lot of things to hash out. We've still got a couple of uh, coaching positions to fill in for the staff, uh, you know, transfer portal, uh, recruiting class to, uh, to finish up, which it seems like it's pretty much done for the Hokies, spring practice, all that kind of fun stuff. So still a lot of things to unfold. We'll watch that. We're going to jump into uh, to basketball season here a little bit more uh, as we approach March. Um, March Madness, not sure the Hokies are going to make it there this year, but 
uh, you know, a number of ACC schools will, but will be fun to follow either way. Um, we will update Capital One Bowl Mania for you after our final, ep- or not our final episode, but our national championship recap. That way we'll know who the exact winners are. And uh, we're going to come to you early or mid this week, I should say, uh, with a national championship preview. It'll be a shorter episode, but want to get that out for you uh, just so you have that before uh, next week. So. Uh, Tim, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for listening. Uh, We are Chowder and Grits. Be sure to join us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, at Chowder and Grits. You can find us pretty easy. Just type it in and uh, start interacting. Like, subscribe, listen, follow, tell your friends. That's really all we want. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us some reviews. Five stars are preferred. Interact with us on all social media platforms. We love hearing from you guys. And you know, the back and forth has been super great all year. So we appreciate it. Uh, even when things don't go our way, we can all seem to come together and commiserate, which is nice. Um, but yeah, just share what we post. Interact with us. Leave us some reviews. Keep spreading the word. We appreciate all the increased visibility that you guys are able to lend to us. Uh, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Um, so with that, Hopefully we'll be back with a happier podcast for you in a couple of days. Um, enjoy the new year. I hope everyone's setting some good goals as far as uh, what they want to accomplish for the year and uh, get ready to rock 2020 in the best way possible. So uh, with that, I'll leave you guys uh, with a go ACC, go Hokies, and we'll see you next time. See you guys later.